So once again, I welcome my audience to the Procurement Podcast with Enim Ado. During our last season last year, we spoke about digital technologies for procurement across the sector and how companies can adopt this system to ensure cost savings, visibility, and also to ensure the efficiency of the procurement processes. Today, I have Mr. Atua Pimfrimpon Barima, who is the regional manager materials, freight, and warehouse governance, Africa for Newman Gold Corporation. And today we shall be discussing the global chain disruptions across Africa. And, and he's well-versed in supply chains. I bet he, he has the knowledge and understanding of supply chain. So he's my guest for today. We shall be delving into the issues in supply chain disruptions in Ghana and Africa. So welcome, Mr. Atwapin from Pomberima. Thank, thank you very much, Jill. Wow. It, 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 it was great meeting the first time. And uh, I think that the global supply chain due to COVID-19 is having a huge impact on the entire world. And in Africa and Ghana, to be specific, we, we are not left out of this uh, 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 pandemic. So can I ask, what triggers the supply chain disruptions post-COVID-19? Thank you very much, uh, Joe. So when you say post-COVID-19, COVID-19, we are still in it. It's yeah. not over yet. Okay. But then I would say that uh, the disruptions, the triggers of the disruptions have been there since 2017, and COVID-19 only made it worse. Mm. And then some of the triggers are common, and we know that there are many that I would like us to just focus on the, the supply end and the demand end, and then some other few drivers. Okay. One is labor shortage. Labor shortage was one of the triggers. Of course, if there is a pandemic, uh, businesses will reduce the number of people that must be on site. Some people will be working remotely and all that. And then the fact that it's pandemic, people get sick. So there were labor shortage globally. And the other thing is the material shortage. That's a raw material shortage globally. And then one will say that it has a link. If you have fewer people to work on a plant that is supposed to produce a semi-finished good or supposed to produce a raw material, and the number is reduced, what will happen is that then you will not be able to produce to full capacity. So therefore, you will have that particular shortage in terms of materials. So material shortage was also one of the triggers of the disruption. But one will ask that, why is there material shortage? From the demand end, there were demand spikes. Initially, when COVID was declared pandemic, uh, there were panic purchases, panic buying. So the demand end, there were a lot of demand for a particular item. And then at the supply end, they need to meet those demand. But then the raw materials was, were also not coming. So spike in demand, labor shortage, material shortage were some of the drivers. Aside that, because of the same COVID issue, factories were shut down. A lot of factories shut down. So these factories that are supposed to produce the semi-finished goods or the raw materials needed by other industries were also shut down. And if they are shut down, certainly they wouldn't be able to get a material supply to be able to produce a finished good or a semi-finished good for another industry. Another factor is also border delays. I mean, it happened between Ghana and Nigeria at some point, 
I mean, one vehicles are not moving into Togo, to Benin, to uh, Nigeria, and vice versa. And this happened globally because of restrictions, restrictions from governments in terms of movement. So border delays also figured, also, also actually triggered the disruptions. Port congestion, globally, if you go to the US, there were a lot of ports, the bigger ports in the US, where, where vessels have to wait for days, days before they get opportunity to, to even get their containers offloaded. And the, because of these port congestions, containers are not able to be retained to their base to be able to load other goods to other locations. So containerization also became an issue driven by port congestion and the port congestion, which is also being driven by uh, uh, the COVID-19 disruption. So there is a link. I mean, one, 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 one trigger leads to another. Transportation challenges. At a point, there were shortage of drivers in the US and also in the UK. And we've been purchasing from most of these countries as well into our part of the world. So of course, if there are no movement of finished goods or raw materials from one location to the other, the supply chain will certainly be disrupted. So these are some of the triggers that uh, we're giving birth to due to COVID-19. That's elaborate. But uh, there's something that, that is very interesting here. And the issue is a labor shortage. Uh, how come we had labor shortage before the 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 the, the, the spike in uh, disruptions in supply chain? Yes. So you see, uh, before before um, before before the disruptions, I mean, became immense or became extreme. Mm -hmm. When a, a pandemic is declared certainly organizations will start taking measures mm -hmm. and then business, uh, governments will start taking measures. Uh, of course, when the pandemic strikes, it's people who are getting sick. So in the most part of the world, of course, you know, we import a lot from China. Yeah. Africans report a lot from, we import a lot from China, even though uh, our biggest trade partner is Europe. And Europe was also hit hard, especially Italy, Spain, Germany. And then the people were not going to work. Factories, have to downsize the number of people that have to be on the plants. Uh, uh, factories, some factories have to practically shut down, right? So if the people are sick and they are not coming to work, certainly you're going to have that experience of labor shortage. Wow. And the effect on, on, on su supply of goods has been really, really great. Because most in the African context, we, we, we import more of the goods we need for our production. We don't just import more, we export more also, uh, about 60% of uh, value addition that Europe uses come from Africa, right? Okay. We supply Europe about 60% of the raw materials they need to produce finished goods to other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I keep saying that if Africa suffers, Europe suffers. So when African economies start going down, it will have a direct effect on Europe as well. Wow, that's great. Wow. So I'd like to continue our discussion uh, so in the African context, what has been the effect of these disruptions currently? Yes, yeah, so, so uh, it's, it's a pandemic. So that means it's impacted the whole world. Yeah. And uh, Africa is part of the world. Ghana is part of the world. Yeah. So we have our fair share yeah. of, of the, of the yeah. positive yeah. and the negative effect. I don't want to see COVID as all being negative. Uh, I mean, there are some positives too that we can actually talk about with regards to COVID. Mm. So one, I would say that before the disruption figured, 
by COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Africa countries uh, export growth are re- uh, average around 6.6%. As before COVID, pre-COVID, our uh, export growth averaged around 6.6%. That was in 2019. And then, uh, uh, which, which, which is significantly even outpacing uh, a lot of the emerging uh, and developing uh, economies. But uh, unfortunately for us, COVID came in and our economies experienced a reversal of the fortunes we made in 2019, which is 6.6%, and uh, our export growth sank to minus 7.7% in 2022. So if you look at the figures, 2019, you were doing 6.6%. COVID came in in 2020, you are doing minus 7.7%. This is a direct and a severe impact on export. And of course, you, as you rightly said, we export to generate foreign exchange we do a lot of export and then to be able to make money to run our economies. So that is one. The other aspect is that uh, uh, it is not only goods that suffer. Services suffered more than goods, and which a lot of people are not talking about. Because of restriction of movement, travelings, and whatever, the hospitality industry suffered a lot. Uh, I mean, people are not going to hotels. People are not going to restaurants because they've been locked down everywhere. Uh, people are not traveling, tourism suffered and all those things. And all this generates some, uh, uh, tourism in some African countries is what generates the highest of uh, uh, income. I mean, foreign exchange for, the, for, for that economy. So con- con- economies in Africa that depends more on tourism suffered most because, I mean, people were not allowed to travel because of travel restrictions and what have you. The other one, uh, as we uh, said earlier on in the, uh, we discussed in the first question, I think the first question has to do with the goods. There, 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 there were constraints of raw materials and part availability for production. And certainly, uh, uh, if there are no production going on, businesses have to lay some employees off. So even people suffered. People suffered. They lost their jobs. People lost their jobs. And all, and all of you. And as people lose their jobs, when commercial activities go down, you expect the GDP also to drop because it's these people, the work that they do day in, day out is actually what cushions and then fuels our GDP growth. So uh, 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 just after the COVID and the disruption started, IMF projected a fall of 3% GDP for uh, African countries and the World Trade Organization also a drop in trade. Uh, export was 13% drop and imports dropped uh, by 32%. And this is where I have most interest. If you look at the figures, we, our, our exports drop by 13%, but our imports also drop by 32%. Imports, that means we are not importing. So if we are not importing and it's dropped by 32%, the question is that, is it an indication that Africa can be reliant? Africa can actually depend on ourselves without necessarily importing. You see, because for, for COVID, but for reasons of COVID, you are not imported, and you were able to do away with 32% import. It means that, so the question is that, how were we able to close that gap internally? It's another area that I think we have to take uh, as another topic to discuss yeah. in the future. Yeah. 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 So the other thing also, okay. the other thing I also mentioned earlier is that uh, more than 60% of Africa value added in global export is said to be embedded in European production. So subsequently, the pandemic impact on Africa trade closely linked to the performance of European economies. 
So it is not only Africa that suffered. As Africa suffered, other continents also suffered. Other economies also suffered. And also the lockdowns and restrictions led to reduction in demand of some commodities. The lockdown, certainly people go out to drink beer. People go out, I mean, they, they, when they go out in the ninth life, they drink, take alcohol. I mean, they go to restaurants. I mean, they, they buy cigarettes and whatever. All these things saw a, a, a drop in production because there were lockdowns and people are not allowed to move about, to go and sit, social distance and whatever. So they pick up in demand for goods uh, 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 just after the COVID in 2021. You realize that when things started getting a little bit normal, the demand also shot up again. So COVID brought two things. At one point, demand dropped. Another point, demand started going up, right? And when the demand started going up, the inflation also set in. So uh, you realize that, you realize that uh, if you look at the statistics that we have from the uh, IMF, if you take Ghana, I would like to talk about our own country. If you take Ghana, uh, if you look at our economic growth, 2018, uh, we did 6.2 in 2018. 2019, we did 6.5. That means I'm um, at 0.3% more than 20, just after COVID, 2020, we dropped from 6.5 to 0.4%. And then luckily for us, things started normalizing in 2021, we made 4.7%. And hopefully we are looking at making 6.2. But if you look at 2019, which is 6.5, and 2020, which is 0.4%, Four, six. It's a very huge drop in growth. If you bring it to the consumer price inflation too, you realize that in 2018, we were doing 9.8% in terms of consumer price inflation. And in 2019, we did 7.1, right? So we were able to move our inflation down from 2018 to 2019. We move it from 9.8 to 7.1. Then COVID set in. 2020, it moved from 7.1 to 9.9%. So these are the effects or the impacts that the disruptions uh, born by COVID had on our economies. And then I don't want to only look at Ghana. Let's look at the biggest economy in Africa, that is Nigeria. Nigeria in 2018, uh, the economic growth was 1.9%. 2019, they did 2.2%. And then 2020, it dropped to minus 1.8, all because of COVID. Consumer price inflation for Nigeria, that is in 2018, they did 12.1. Then 2019, they dropped. They did very well as improvement, 11.4. Then all of a sudden, COVID came in. They moved to 13.2 with consumer price inflation. So these are some of the statistics that indicate how the, the adverse, this pandemic, the disruptions that came out of it impacted our economies. So there's such a huge uh, effect on our economy. And we are believing that even as we are into a new year, we will be able to uh, uh, change or manage this situation and also build up our economies once again. And when we're talking, you made mention of the fact that uh, when the disruption hit, the import of, that is the imports from Africa, like, let's say Ghana, was reduced and we're able to manage ourselves to about 32%, right? Yes. But it means that yes. even without the import, which was about 13%, then we're able to manage ourselves. But the question yes, is... 32%. What, yes. 32%, not yes. 13, 32%. 32%. So what category of items were we able to manage or in-house? 
Yes. So if you look at it, uh, it, it normally falls within the, uh, the, the, the normal, let's say, uh, food products, right? Mm-hmm. Food mm-hmm. products and then some other, let's say, toiletries and then those uh, things that we import. I mean, we used to import even toothpick from China. Certainly, if uh, I don't think toothpick were imported as company uh, in 2020 after COVID, uh, when COVID strike uh, 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 compared to previous years. So majority had to do with the rice import, the chicken import. The, you know, where Ghanaians are very sensitive when it comes to diseases. So certainly, uh, I remember when uh, this uh, uh, SARS, whatever, uh, chicken um, uh, diseases came in China, came to China some time ago. I mean, suddenly, all of a sudden, people don't want to buy frozen food and what have you. So the frozen food... It's basically food and other things that we normally buy from the foreign markets. Another thing also is that uh, even in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the core industry area, like mining and other uh, industries, uh, the manufacturing industries, they knew that they have alternatives in Africa. They have alternatives in Ghana that they can actually rely on. But I keep saying that when people pick things that's made in Ghana, the first thing they think about is that is it quality? When they pick it, it's from Turkey. Then whether they will not do any assessment as far as from Turkey, then it's presumed to be quality. So when you are not getting what you require from the outside world, you are forced to use what you have locally. Right? So people started looking internally to see what they can actually use as alternative to what they used to import. So it cut across food, machinery, and other parts and whatever you. They, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a whole lot of uh, a mixture of things. But I think that food... And the frozen food, the rice, the oils, and whatever, I mean, took a huge percentage of what we, could, we couldn't import, which actually brought our import level to uh, 32% less. Wow. Wow. Yeah. wow. Wow. That's, 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 that's awesome. But with all that you said, when is this disruption likely to end? <laughs> that, that, that is a very tricky question. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very tricky question. I mean, uh, one cannot be certain as to when the disruption uh, will come to an end. Uh, I am of the view that, and then that is the truth, is that supply chain disruptions were there before COVID. The disruptions were there before COVID, uh, but they weren't as drastic as COVID made it. And then so, like any risk uh, assessment or management, uh, it is a frequency of occurrence and the severity of that necessitates management plans. So, I mean, you see everybody talking about supply chain, everybody putting measures uh, to ensure that they are able to, uh, I mean, withstand the shocks that have been brought by COVID, the disruptions, is because of the severity. So the, the, the issues that we have seen in supply chain, for me, are not new. They've been there. COVID made it worse. Uh, the disruption could, uh, it will certainly come to an end. Everything that has a beginning has an end. It will come to an end, but no one can actually predict when. And then I, 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 I would say that the disruptions could get worse before it gets better. What I think we should need, we need to think about is not when it will come to an end, but it is how to build resilience. How to build resilience. Because you can't tell whether it will come to an end tomorrow, next month, or this end of 2022. It could get worse. So I can't tell you when it will come to an end, but certainly what I can advise is that let's see how best we can build resilience 
to be able to withstand the shocks that this disruptions brings to us. Okay. And this 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 move is my, my my next question. So then, how then do we manage the supply risk in these times? Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that question. And uh, before I answer that question, I would like to borrow the words of Peter Dacca. And, and he said that the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence. It is the act. It is, it is to act with uh, yesterday's logic. And I want to repeat, the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence. It is to act with yesterday's logic. How were we doing supply chain yesterday before COVID? Are we going to still employ the ways we were doing supply chain yesterday? If yes, then we are not going to be resilient. We'll be struck down by COVID and its disruptions. So what we need to do is that, I would say that let's look at our corporate strategy. Is supply chain part of our corporate strategy? If yes, then that's good. We must, we must make supply chain part of our corporate strategy. So from day one, before the year begins, we know what supply chain is supposed to bring to uh, bring on board to ensure the, 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 the objectives and the vision of the business have been achieved. Some businesses believe that supply chain is a, is, a, is a lifeline of the business. Some businesses also don't see that that way. But I think that supply chain deserves to be in the boardroom. It deserves to be part of the corporate strategy. So we need to have supply chain as part of our whole corporate strategy. The other thing is that when we develop our strategic map, where does supply chain sit? Supply chain must sit in and clearly define as to what supply chain is going to do, like what I said. And also, we must have an operating model. So we pick the, we pick the, the corporate strategy and we see supply chain sitting in there. What then we, we drill it down to uh, an operating strategy for supply chain for the business. Then we just don't leave it there. But the team that are in charge of supply chain, they're imparting to the last member on the floor at the warehouse must understand, I mean, uh, uh, the operating model that we are employing for a particular year to run our supply chain. And I call it wiring. We're supposed to be able to wire our employees to understand what supply chain stands for in our businesses. That is the first point. The other points to be able to withstand the disruptions and build resilience is leadership visibility of supply chain pipeline. The leadership must have visibility of whatever is happening from end to end, right? Um, uh, they, they, they not just visible. When people talk about visibility, what do you exactly want? What, do you, what should the leadership see? The leadership should not be seeing just everything from the warehouse to, I mean, the category management to transport and work. On a high level, the managers will have a level that they will see and it will feed into what the, the, the top management will see and it will feed into what the regional leadership will see. So on high level, let's say you want to see service level of critical materials, you want to see service level of routine materials, that is indicating that, yes, material availability is there for production to go on. You want to see uh, inventory terms or you want to see, I mean, how quick we are able to convert our PRs to POs and how they are able to be transmitted to vendors and vendor delivery performance. These are some of the things that leadership must have visibility of to be able to make an informed decision. The other one is supplier risk management. The supplier that you are dealing with, have you been able to assess their risk involved in dealing with that supplier? Now, it's not just your supplier. Your supplier supplier from the tier one to tier three. The supplier buys from someone. The supplier supplier buys from someone. 
what is happening at a tier three supplier and what is happening at a tier two supplier, you must have some level of visibility of the risk that you are exposed to to be able to develop a supplier management plan to mitigate the risk. So we must have a robust supply chain governance framework, which gives the leadership visibility of the pipeline, which also manages supply chain risk, and as well as also deal with compliance. Compliance. The fact that we are in a pandemic state or we are in a destructive state doesn't mean we don't have to follow processes. Processes and producer procedures must be followed. All we can do is to be innovative, to reinvent the processes, to, to actually I mean, uh, reframe the processes to suit the current situation so that we can actually deliver value to our businesses and also be resilient to the pandemic. The another thing that I also talk about is people. You know, when you talk about supply chain governance or when you talk about uh, uh, governance in, in, in its entirety, it's about people, process, and technology. And now I've had a data to it. People, process, and technology. So you must be, we, sh we should be able to give our people the working tools that they need, reward and compensate them. Now, people will be working remotely. Do they have the tools that they need to work remotely? If your people can, do not have the tool to work remotely and you cannot keep them on site, then, of course, you'll be out of business. Training and capability development. We must always do well to train our people. Uh, our supply chain people should not just be supply chain people who come to work every day and then just do their business as usual and leave. But the supply chain person, when he hears that the, there is a, a green vessel as wedged in the Suez Canal, he should be able to start drawing insight how it will impact supply chain as far as their businesses are concerned. If he hears that a company, a third party logistics company is going to be sold or is, go, is going to be I mean, uh, uh, acquired by another company, they have to ask, start asking questions. How is this going to impact supply chain as a major acquisition? How is it going to impact supply chain? That's the kind of supply chain people that we need to have within our force to be able to be resilient to such disruptions. The other one is processes. Like I said, process innovation. How are you doing your forecasting? If the way you are doing your forecasting yesterday is the same way you are doing today, then you've missed it. You used to be doing three months horizon. Now maybe you have to do six months or even 10 months because you don't know what will happen tomorrow. You used to do, I mean, once of MRP review, maybe every week or every month you do MRP review. That's a material requirement planning or uh, uh, for replenishment, you, you may decide to do it twice weekly or even uh, uh, often than that to be able to know what actually needs replenishment to be able to convert um, and, uh, uh, PRs into PO to get those items. You also have to think about your requisition to pay for, uh, optimization which from, from requisition of an item to creation of PR, to converting to PO, to delivery by the vendor, good receipt and what have you and payment. How have you streamlined your process to make it seamless, to make it smooth without any disruptions, adding on to the already disruptions that we have? Another thing that we also have to think about is that supply chain subdomains, that are sub-functions and end-user function collaboration. Supply chain is a service function. We don't serve our own. We serve other people. We serve other functions. We need to strengthen the collaboration we have with them to be able to quickly identify their needs and convert them into purchase uh, 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 orders for them to, or service orders for them to actually get what they need. The other thing is a, a data-driven supply chain management. The days where we do gut feeling supply chain is no more. Now we have to use data to make an informed decision and not just data. 
but data availability and quality. How quality is the data that we have? How can we draw insight from the data to make an informed decision? Data accessibility and utilization. Sometimes the data will be there, but people cannot assess it. And those who are able to assess it are not able to utilize it because they don't have that knowledge to be able to draw insight from data. So these are some of the things that we have to actually do to be, to be resilient to supply chain. The last but not the least is supply chain enterprise resource planning systems. We must invest in ERPs because, I mean, the manual way of forecasting, the manual way of doing things will delay us and also will make us vulnerable in times of disruptions or in these current times in which we are. So supply chain metrics and KPI strengths visibility. I mean, those days where we have to pick a notebook or Excel sheet and look at stock on hand, look at consumption trend and whatever, it's gone. Now people, are, people have been able to integrate Tableau to SAP, integrate Oracle to Power BI. So you're able to have on the spot live data of how consumption trend looks like, of how turnover looks like, of how uh, I mean, I mean uh, service levels look like, of how obsolete materials are trending. We need to invest in ERPs because when we do that, that will improve efficiency. It will improve planning and reporting. And it will also help us to standardize our processes and improve workflows. So for me, I think these are the core things that we need to do to be able to build resilience in this time of disruptive uh, disruption and also uh, COVID-19. Wow. Thank, thanks for such an elaborate view on how we're able to manage the supply chain risk. But I want to ask, as my final question, are we doing well as a country in uh, empowering our local suppliers? Yes, uh, one will say yes, one will say no. But if you look at yes, because I mean, a lot of the big businesses are now building local suppliers. If you go to the manufacturing industry, if you go to the mining industry, they are building a lot of local supplies because of local content. If you go to oil and gas the same way, and now most of the 3PL are the third-party logistics companies when it comes to services. They are running it for the oil and gas and the mining companies. Uh, procurement are being done locally. There are target sets for oil and gas and mining and other industries to, I mean, for, for, for local purchases. So we're doing well in that, in that direction because law demands that. Aside that, the, the no aspect is that Ghanaians have become so used to import for a very long time. I mean, when it comes to the normal daily consumables that we buy uh, for our households, people have acquired foreign tastes. So even converting them to look at what is made in Ghana becomes difficult. And also the business manual is also important things that is making more profit from imports than even manufacturing in Ghana. So people don't actually are not interested in manufacturing in Ghana. They think that looking at the economy of scale and the fact that globalization allows us to buy globally, they will prefer to buy from other countries and make better profit than to produce in Ghana, where they, will not, they may not even be able to break even. And also, the, the, the consumer taste will also be a disadvantage to them because the fact that it's made in Ghana, they have that pre, uh, 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 they have the perception that it's of no good quality. So it's a yes or no, it's a yes or no answer. It depends on the, on the industry that uh, 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 we, we look at. So based on explanation, it means that uh, we have a very long way to be able to uh, uh, industrialize our economy to, be, need to meet our demands as it stands now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a long way. We have a long way. <laughs> Let me just 
put this one through as a joke. We have yeah. more churches in Ghana than factories. <laughs> we have more churches in Ghana than factories. And some of our factories have been, the, the warehouses have been converted into churches. So clearly it tells you that we have a long way when it comes to industrialization. If we keep converting our warehouses and our factories into churches, then it, we, we certainly have a long way. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Thank, thank you for uh, the time spent with me. I think uh, the information shared are really, really, really good. And I think that once uh, we put this one out, people would uh, begin to align themselves to be able to meet the risk that has emerged due to the supply chain disruptions globally. And so thank you, Mr. Atwapim Frimpon Bariuma, for being on my show this day. We would like to host you some other time to discuss much more deeper issues regarding to the supply chain as that's your, your field and also uh, governance issues in the procurement supply chain. I think that's a very, a very key aspect that you, you have much interest in. So I think even as you progress, uh, I'll, be, I'll be inviting you more often to uh, have a chat with you. And I believe that uh, uh, the information we need to put out there for our procurement practices to understand, they begin to embrace these information and begin to adjust how they do and how they work in their various companies. So thank you, Mr. Frimpon, for being on the show. Thank you very much, Joe, for having me on your show. Thank you. Any last comments? Any last comment or something you would say? Well, uh, my last comment is that supply chain is very big. Uh, anyone who wants to do supply chain must decide on which subdomain you want to be. I hear people saying they are supply chain experts. Nobody is a supply chain expert. You can't be a jack of all trade. Supply chain is too big to be an expert of all. You may be an inventory expert. You may be uh, a freight expert. You may be a procurement expert. Uh, you may be enterprise systems expert. Um, there are so many areas in supply chain. You can I mean, find time and then look at where. You can be a logistics expert. Find time and look at where you want to create a niche, where you want actually want to build yourself. Uh, basically, you 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 will be you will be good at all the various harms of supply chain because that is the form in which you operate. But always find one area of interest that you actually want to be known for, whether it's supplier supply chain governance, whether it's supplier risk management alone on its own, because supplier risk management alone is a huge thing. I mean, they can take you a whole day to discuss supplier risk management alone. So for those practicing now, for those who are now coming into the field, um, it is good to say that you, are, you want to be an expert of everything. But I would advise that find one of the subdomains and build strong competency in that area. So when I mean, names have been mentioned or when it comes to uh, competition on the job market, you have a value proposition that can actually get you what you want thanks thanks thank thank you so 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 much actually today i realized that uh internationally there is a, a shortage of uh procurement supply chain practitioners and i think it's it's it's, it's something we need to really check so i think maybe in our subsequent meetings we would uh, delve a bit in that aspect that is a supply a, a procurement supply talent acquisition or development yeah around that sure. yeah yeah. So thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the end of our show, and we had an awesome time with Mr. Atwapin Frimpong Barima. Please kindly watch this or listen to this podcast 
on all the platforms. You can also view this on YouTube. And the name is The Procurement Podcast with a name, Ado. Kindly look onto this page for more exciting content in procurement supply chain. Have a nice day. Bye-bye.